Let's go to the library. To the library. Vamos a la biblioteca. Let's go to the library. 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 A Niagara Falls Public Library podcast. Hello and welcome. This is your host, Greg Jansen. I'm a community development and programming librarian with the Niagara Falls Public Library, and this is episode three of the Let's Go to the Library podcast. We have two firsts for you this month on the podcast. Our first first is that I will not be doing the service announcements myself. I will be joined by my colleague, Laura Rudinsky, who is a team leader with our customer service department. She'll be telling you a bit about what's new and exciting in customer service at the Niagara Falls Public Library. And the second first is that I will be joined by an author today of a book. Her name is Jolie Fung Huang, and she has written a wonderful book called Three Funerals for My Father, detailing her uh, escape from communist Vietnam in 1983. So that means we'll be taking a bit of a break from mental health topics this month, but please do stay tuned uh, for next month's podcast. We will be making an announcement about a new development in mental health uh, materials available at the Niagara Falls Public Library. For now, let's talk to Laura. Laura, how's it going? It's going good. Thanks for having me. Yes. Am, am I the first live guest on the podcast? You were the first live guest. Yes. I want to make it clear. Laura is actually sitting uh, a safe distance. Let's say six feet from me. We, we are six feet and we are masked. We are masked. Um, yes. So Laura, what is new in customer service for March, April, 2022? Well, you've already touched upon a couple things that our buildings are open. Um, we have added some Sunday hours here at Victoria. So they're 11 to three on Sundays. Um, people can, of course, find our full hours and if anything's updated, because, um, you know, things always change on our website. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about, again, you touched on fines free. Part, part of that um, and, and part of that change was to start with automatic renewals. So automatic renewals mean that as long as nobody else is waiting for your item, that's the big key. As long as nobody else is waiting, your item will be automatically renewed by the computer. So you don't have to go online to your account anymore. You don't have to call us. Um, if your item can't be renewed, you do get an email that'll show you the update. So if stat things are renewed, it'll say renewed. If it's not renewed, it says not renewed. Um, so the reason something wouldn't be renewed is, again, if somebody else is waiting for it or if um, you've reached your maximum renewals. So you get your three weeks. If nobody's waiting, it'll renew again automatically. So you can keep it another three weeks and then it'll do that one more time. So you can have a total of nine weeks for your item and you don't have to do anything. And it's a fantastic service, folks. I have to commend you on this in the customer service department. I've received some of these emails and I don't, can't tell you how handy it is not to have to bother going in and ticking the little box and saying renew. It just renews automatically or doesn't, and then you just know. So we're, as always, I think the goal is just to make it as easy as possible for people. We do wanna make things as, as convenient as we can, and this is just one way that we could. Um, and one thing we always do, of course, still encourage is even though you can technically keep something for nine weeks, 
and there might not be anybody with a hold waiting, it's still nice to bring things back if you're done with them and get them in the library so other people can enjoy them. Yes, that's a very good point, actually. Yes, and the fines free, there's the, that's the kind of caveat to the whole fines free thing, too. It's fines free, but do do bring things back. We, st- we still have due dates. Yes, we still have due <laughs> dates, and yes, because it is a public uh, service that everybody shares. So yeah, that'd be, uh, that'd be fantastic if all you listeners could bring your library things back when you're done with them and other people can enjoy them. And uh, so that's it then for customer service updates. That's it. Nice. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It's uh, fantastic. I hope we can do this regularly. Thanks for having me. And that was Laura Rudinsky, a team leader from our customer service team. As she mentioned, uh, any updates can be found at my.nflibrary.ca. That's my.nflibrary.ca, our main website. And now I'd like to introduce our guest for this month, Jolie Feng Huang. By day, she is a professor of mathematics at Niagara College, and she has recently embarked on a new career as an author. I spoke with her recently about her brand new memoir, Three Funerals for My Father, and here is that conversation. Jolie, welcome. Hello, Greg. Uh, Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you so much for, for being here with us today. Uh, so we're going to talk a lot about the book and uh, about your experience, but I wanted to give people a little bit of context starting out for people who might not be familiar with Vietnamese history. Uh, this book opens with uh, part of your family attempting to escape communist Vietnam and uh, join the rest of your family who had already successfully made it to Canada, and you were among those. Um, so can you please explain what and why you were escaping at this point. It was the com- communist government, but so w- what's the what's kind of a summary of the history here, please? Yeah, okay. So uh, in brief, I just want to say that uh, in 1954, the Gen- Geneva Conference divided Vietnam into two at the 17 parallel. So Vietnam had North Vietnam and South Vietnam. North Vietnam was under communist rule. South Vietnam was under the influence of the Americans. So the war started for so many years when the North Communist Army trying to unify Vietnam. So in April of 1975, the uh, uh, last American uh, left Vietnam, the North Communist Army successfully invaded South Vietnam and then accomplished the uh, Communist uh, Republic of Vietnam. So um, after that, uh, uh, people fled the country due to communist oppression from the uh, re-education camp to new economic zone, the citizen experienced both overt and covert acts of aggression from the government. So as a result, hardship uh, to, for some of them, reached the dead end. So they have to reach the extreme uh, decision of escape into the sea to find freedom. Right, and then that's, it was always by sea, wasn't it? It was always by boat, it seemed like. By by both is mostly by both. Some uh, uh, some is actually by uh, uh, try to to uh, across the border into Cambodia, and then from Cambodia to Thailand. Yeah, but the uh, Vietnam has a long stretch of uh, ocean, a beautiful country uh, facing the Pacific Ocean, and uh, escaping by both is a lot easier at that time. So. As a memoir, I expected this uh, 
you know, I went into this with expectations, which you should never do in reading a book. But I just thought, you know, this is going to be uh, your story. You're going to tell it to us. But it's it's very interesting some of the choices you've made uh, because it's very much the story of your family and your father in particular. Uh, and a lot of the chapters alternate between your point of view and his point of view. So what made you want to tell the story from your father's point of view as well as your own? And uh, what does your father's point of view allow you to do narratively that you could not do from your own point of view? It's a lot of questions. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, I would like to frame my uh, family story uh, into like, because it's involving war, involving escaping the country. I want to frame it within the love of the families and uh, explain a lot of reason behind why we have to escape. So I don't want to start this book like talking about the history of Vietnam because I want to talk about how I feel, how I really feel and the effect of the war and the effect of separate from my father, my mother, my younger sister on me. So when I concentrate on that, I feel that uh, when a loved one dies, their physical being no longer exists, but their voices and actions remain in our memories. In prolonged grieving, their voices amplify and create an illusion that they are still around us. That was how I felt. In addition, the narrative used as the first person will be more genuine to express intense emotion because we are talking about uh, love and then loss. Uh, and then we talk about unreplaceable love in this case. The fatherly love to the family. And my father died when his vision of a new life with freedom was about to come true for him. I thought my father would feel tormented by, her, by his unfulfilled dream and responsibilities. Because I knew my father's characters. His selflessness and devotion to his family stopped the moment that he died. He left the world, leaving so much unsaid words, so much undone. Therefore, I think nothing could express his agony better than the voice of his ghost. Right. And it's, it is so effective um, in that you have made it personal. Um, it's not a history, like you said. It doesn't read like a you know, something that happened distantly, which to a lot of people in Canada, it is, it's something that happened a long time ago. It's something that happened in a place that was far away, but you've brought it right, right into our, our, you know, our imagination. And, uh, it, it gave me a real insight into your experience. And as I said, when we were sp- speaking earlier, I almost feel like I, I know you, we've, we're just meeting today for the first time, but I almost feel like, you know, yeah, uh, sure. from from reading this so it's it's very effective um, yeah, thank you because so part of uh, because part of uh, uh, may I add to that like part of uh, writing a memoir is I feel that you you write from your true feeling it's genuine from the voice inside uh, your inner self so I, I really want the the reader to feel it so um so I uh, thank you for saying that. I appreciate we it. We did. And to be honest, yeah, it, it feels so intensely like I had to take breaks at times. <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's a very, you've had a very intense experience, which we'll get into more. Um, and the love is, it, it just comes through and the morning comes through and it's, uh, it's just beautifully done. Uh, so, uh, so where was I? Okay. So a lot of it like you were I, I like in your answer you keep touching on uh memory and and the idea of um 
a person who's deceased, who's passed on, um, still being alive in your memory. Uh, so you, one of the passages I liked in the book, you say, uh, and this was of your last day, you're remembering your last day with your father. I should have paid more attention, you say. I should have sealed it in my memory. But from what I can see, having read the book, you've clearly remembered quite a lot. Um, the chapters from your father's point of view are very rich with details of his life and then your family's life as the American War in Vietnam escalates and then ends and then communism takes over, as you were uh, explaining earlier. Were the many details in your book, um, were those recalled entirely from your own memory or were some of them uh, stories passed down uh, from your mother or from other parts of your family? Or was did you have to do kind of supplementary research, you know, family research or other kind of research to, to get some of those details? Because it's, it's so rich with detail. Yeah, so um, uh, the passages in the book that you just read, like the two sentences that I should have paid more attention, I should have sealed it in my memory. I, I regret the moment that I, at the first time when I escaped, you know, when I, uh, when my father took us to a bus station and we waited for the, for the bus to come to take us. And then I was uh, occupied uh, trying to remember what my father was telling us what to do. So I didn't pay too much with the surrounding environment. So at that time, I think I, I started to realize the seriousness of the matter and fear um, and 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 feeling that I I'm losing his protection somehow, and that I have to start uh, take the uh, uh, the course of action into my own. That I have to feel responsible for it. So then I didn't pay attention with the sound surrounding uh, environment. But if I could, I would want to memorize the name of that street. I would want to memorize the uh, uh, the bus station. Where, where all the activities was going on with the little little supermarket there, right? Because when I came back to Vietnam uh, in 2008, I really want to look for that spot. Honestly, I really want to go back to that spot. If I could remember, I, I would definitely go back to that spot because at that very spot, I, I, I want to feel close to my father because at that very spot, uh, I remember when the uh, the bus uh, started to uh, drive away, he drove the bicycle beside it for a distance, and then he discreetly waved to us uh, to signal a, a farewell. Then he stood beside his bicycle. The dust from the road swore up to blur his image. Um, then at that, for somehow that, that image hit uh, and stay with me for a long, long time. And whenever I I miss my father, I thought about him. That image keeps uh, coming back. So I want to go back to that very spot. So um, uh, the, so the sentence that we read, it was like I was. It's more like I I I wish that. I knew where that, that spot was. And I don't think my brothers and sister remember where that spot was. And it was like 30 years, you know, 25 years. So everything changed. So, and, and anyways, get back to the question that you have. You said if uh, all of what I wrote in the books uh, depends on my memories or from story or from research. So I, I research, I have to do some research. Okay, so I, I research to make sure the timing and the locations and the events happen around it that I have to be correct. Uh, 
And then um, all the story that happened before 1975, before I was born, I've heard from my father from my, and my, my mother. Uh, you know, like I mentioned in the book, we have family meetings. We, uh, we, uh, so meeting was like, uh, my father would tell us a story, his experience in the war. And if we look at family uh, uh, albums, picture, we would ask our parents, so, so what happened to this? Like, there's 10 of us in the family and I am number six in the family. So I, I was born like after uh, the time that my, my uh, father and my mother met and and my uh, m how my sister got to uh, know my my parents so I, I want to know all about that so I asked a lot of questions and I remember all the story that my uh, father and my mother uh, told me and uh, but after 1975 and years after that all the events happened is actually I remember because the impact of those events I have to say that it's unforgettable. Of course, and it's, it's easy to s see why that would be. I mean, and you talked about um, just to be clear uh, that that moment at, at the uh, when the bus was going to pick you up. Uh, how old were you at that time? I was seventeen. Actually, 17. I was sixteen, turning seventeen. Sixteen. So, I mean, just a young person. I mean, no wonder you're just kind of you know. Yeah. It's so. Yeah. How could a young person even contemplate that kind of? Uh, the gravity of that that moment exactly you know, exactly you can, you thank can you yeah. understand it better now and I, the other thing i was going to say is um it's uh, just to be clear that's the last time you saw your father alive yeah, that's yeah. my uh, last time yeah wow so as perhaps uh, that leads us i guess into our next question is as one could expect uh the title is three funerals for my father uh, the first couple of chapters are very mournful and um you know from his point of view he's mourning the, the, his own passing like he wants to continue living he wants to make sure his children uh you know can can get to freedom and, and prosper in life um but uh you know the, the mournfulness like you're saying the grieving of that loss comes through very clearly and very powerfully i think uh throughout the book so what was it like for you in writing this book uh revisiting this this very painful period in your family's history so the uh painful process of recalling such event is undeniable. Yeah. So these wounded feelings are difficult to express if we try to suppress them and avoid them. So I knew that I, I uh, suppressed and then I avoided for a long, long time because I, I think I concentrate a lot on, uh, on my study, uh, concentrate on building my future because uh, we practically actually on our own. And uh, uh, when I start writing, I try to find the courage to confront the inner struggle. Uh, during that process, I discovered that, that I never wanted this painful memory to be faded. I, I always want to remember, I, but I, I try to put it somewhere in the, in, like, in the dark space of my soul. And I know that sorrow became a dark space that I must navigate through it. So I found writing is a very powerful tool. Uh, while writing, I analyze my thought, and then I uh, and I put my feelings onto papers. So it's more like I have to map everything together. Then I have to create like a painting out of it. The painting can be very sad, uh, very happy, and 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 it's like 
for myself, I know that I have to analyze to examine the detail because every time I look at a painting, uh, uh, I know that it happened to all of us too. If we look at a painting, we want to study it. So for me, that's the process that I, I took why uh, I realized when I when I write. Um, I need to put all the details in front of me, confront my inner struggle, analyze them. And, and in the process, I probably uh, 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 realized that I, I, I entered the process of self-discovery and self-healing. So it eased up a lot of the painful uh, emotion. And in addition to that, I need to say that discipline is the soul of writing. Uh, I am grateful that my parents embedded a strong sense of discipline in me. And I think discipline builds logic into the process of writing. If you concentrate on logic, logic will steal part of the painful memory away and then uh, uh, take it away from the original form and then place it in a more practical perspective. Mm -hmm. So in terms of discipline, I mean, you know what, I'm going to leave that for, for you. I have a question later on about your kind of journey as a writing writer, but I'm very interested that you bring that up, uh, just kind of building a, a practice of writing, it sounds like. And so it sounds to me like uh, this whole process was therapeutic then for you. I mean, it's, yes, yes, it's a way to, yes. to, to work your way through these things. That's, that's yes. interesting. I mean, um, so for my next question, I wanted to ask you about, uh, it's hard to, I think, talk about this book while avoiding the subject of fate. Fate kind of hangs over this whole, this whole book very strongly. You know, there are omens appearing, um, kind of uh, foretelling of, of, you know, bad, bad things going to happen. Um, and then page 29 is the war escalates, a, a passage that stuck out to me. Your father says, all, this is from his perspective in the narrative. Um, all we could do was pray for the resolution of factors that we could not control. So can you talk a, a little bit about this notion of fate and, uh, and, and where that comes from and, and, and how, that, uh, how you explored that in the book? Okay. Um, in talking about fate, um, I would like to mention that Vietnam is a country plated with centuries of war. Like... My parents' lifetime was constantly facing struggle and hardship, facing the factor that they cannot control. So in terms of comparisons, like people born in a peaceful country have more control over their lives and the livelihood of their families, while citizens in the war-torn country could only say, fate decided for me to be born in this uh, country and, and placed under this hardship. So I think it's already built in it's already building into the soul of uh, the people who live uh, under uncontrollable factors. So, but, but what? But there's something in life. What can we explain? Like, mm -hmm. how else do you make sense of of that? I guess, right? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it's it's uh, you know, and that that speaks to this is a subject I guess I was wanting to get into later as well. But this just the relevance of this book um, to ongoing events. I mean, these are all events. It happened 40 years ago, um, but it's still so relevant today. We see, uh, I mean, there's the, the war happening in Ukraine right now, but even before that, uh, people escaping in boats, escaping from Syria, North Africa, into Europe, um, people escaping South America to try, to try to get into the Southern United States. We had a family who was trying to escape India, and they, they froze to death uh, in, in mm. the Canadian Canadian prairies this, this past winter. I mean, this... Um, 
this book you've written of of uh, people escaping these places that are experiencing war and environmental disasters. I think you give such an insight, um, having been through not the same experience, a very a similar experience and a similar set of circumstances. So, um, thank you for for your answer. I mean, I think that helps us kind of understand uh, in a way that maybe someone born and raised in Canada like myself couldn't necessarily mm. kind of contemplate. Mm. Um, thank you. Um, so you mentioned uh, at several points in the book, you kind of allude to your your creativity. Like you play, uh, there's you playing guitar and writing songs with your sister. Uh, you write poems. I mean, I'm, I'm, a few of your poems are included in the book. Um, so you had a, you know different creative uh, media you've you've explored, and you actually teach math. You're a, you're a professor of math at Niagara College. And, and you've come to writing kind of after teaching math, you said, for uh, 25 years. And so what, what compelled you to write your story as opposed to telling it in some other form? Or, uh, and can you tell us a bit about your journey as a writer? What brought you to writing? Yeah, okay. So um, uh, to be very honest with you, I, I can say that <laughs> I really want to be a, a writer when I was little. When I came to this country, um, I had to learn English uh, as a second language. I had to speak another language. I had to, and I had to be practical too. Like when I apply for university, I need to apply for a program that could give me a job. So at that time, uh, learning uh, English literature or is is out of the uh, is out of the option. Like it's uh, I I don't think I uh, if I could make a choice. Um, I think I would go back and learn literature. But I, I appreciate mathematics. I love mathematics. Um, and I think mathematics has the logic components, has the, uh, uh, has keep the mind straight. It, it, it kept the imagination away. Because you can imagine when you work with mathematics, it keeps you in the practical, practical world, okay? So I have to say that studying mathematics keeps my mind like in a straight line and focus on my career and purpose in life for a long, long time. And it turned out to be a career that I really love. And I, I love talking about mathematics, but I cannot get away from relating to mathematics with my real life experience. Okay, so in, in telling the story, so I would like to get back to your question, in telling the story, uh, in uh, like opposing to telling in some other form, because I, uh, I wrote this, my first book with a purpose, that I want to create a connection between my father, my mother, uh, and uh, my younger sister to the next generation of the Huang family. Like my daughter, my grandchildren, nieces and nephew could only see photo of their grandparents, their aunt, but they never met them or known them in person. So this book creates a bond, a link to the past, and I wanted them to be proud and appreciative of their roots. So the ghost voice of my father make it real, and they heard it, like, like it makes like they heard it directly from my father. So my, yeah, yeah my journey as a writer, right? So, um. Um, I think I mentioned that already, that uh, um, English is my second language, and it's a long process in, in learning. Like, I feel like I have to take a very thing, like a very slow step, climbing up a, a mountain. 
at, at some point, like uh, people could climb the mountain with equipment, with joy, with like a hobby. But for me, I have to crawl up the mountain. I, I feel sometimes it feels like that. Like it probably take a lifetime to master the second language. So, but what I I need to discipline myself and what's really motivate me to write is that my daughter asked me about the death of my father and my younger sister. So they asked that question, but each time I I didn't know how to give a correct answer to that because I realized that the answer is not simple, it's just a few sentences. So I said that writing so that I can uh, give her a thorough explanation. So then the first book was written in 2014. Uh, the book is called Anchors and it completed with just a few chapters and I left it. The planning of the chapters and the events to be, uh, to be written was circling in my head, but I could not put them down on paper. For some reason, the thoughts seemed to be tangled up and just trapped at, at one spot. So, but in 2015, after I attended my father's uh, last funeral, I left California feeling exceptionally sentimental. Like, it's, it's more like I, it hit me the most, uh, is that because I attending my father's funeral, he passed away for 30 years. This is his third funeral, but the first for me to attend. I realized that uh, he, he arrived in America as he had dreamed and envisioned, but only in ashes, not in a physical form. So I think that gave me uh, uh, an inspiration to write. And then uh, I complete the first book called Anchors in 2017, and then I published it in 2019. Right. And I noticed there's a chapter in this book called Anchorless. So Anchorless, uh, that was another one of my questions, my next question, actually. So it, it covers some of the same ground, but is it more from your father's perspective only? Yeah. So Anchorless is the story told from a voice of a dead person. It's only from my uh, father's perspective. So I want to portray that as a regretful spirit remain on earth alongside with the livings. The narrative of anchors is sorrowful, and I want to create a sentence. Uh, I want to create sentences in the book of prose that are soft, and make the readers feel like a whisper. The story has more, like has very little dialogue. Anchors has very little dialogue. After all, you know, like uh, a lonesome ghost who expresses sentiments to himself, contemplating that he's losing so much in life. He's grieving his own death and leaving so much unsaid and undone. So I think it's probably reflect my feeling, uh, my true feeling at that point, that I I was so uh, emotional. And then uh, it seemed like it's coming back or every, all the grief that, that clocked up inside me in that dark space, I started to realize it. I, so that's why I wrote Anchorless in that form. It's short, it's just simple. Um, and uh, I want to uh, create a like a sorrowful ghost. Mm -hmm. So, am I right in thinking that Anchorless was kind of almost like the beginnings of this book, where are in Anchorless? Like it seems like yes. You know, that, um, uh, except in this one, you seem to explore your own experience more. Yes, because right. uh, um, a few uh, chapter of Anchorless 
uh, are in the second book right now. Oh, I see. But right. written in a more um, in a different narrative. But if you anchorless to me is is just like like I describe, right? I want to just create it as a as a soft uh, voice that I feel like a whisper. Um, I hope I put it in the right context. Right? No, that's that's yeah. a very vivid image to me. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can so because the, because we're talking about a ghost, right? A ghost is right telling his own story, but in in three funerals for my father, it's involved more history. It included my voice, and it answered a lot of questions. Is 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 gives the beginnings and the end of the whole the the whole thing about the Huang family, and and uh, surrounding frame in the context of war. Framing the how he expressed his love for family, for for how we feel about our, my our father, his sacrifice, and uh, and uh, it, it need to to involve as a, the whole story, right? So with my story, my escape trip as well, Ankylus uh, didn't mention my escape trip, right? Yeah, it's just that it's just focused on on that smaller on, piece on, of it. Yeah, on on my yeah. father. Yes, right. And just to give context, you were talking earlier about uh, the need to be practical in choosing your your profession and uh, and your education. I mean, to be clear, when you and your uh, your five brothers and sisters came at the same time, uh, when you first came to Canada, you were teenagers mostly, weren't you? And you were on your own. You were supporting yourselves because um, yes. your your family had been wealthy at first in Vietnam because your father he sounds like a very industrious man he had he had a thriving construction business and then the war and the communist uh, government it just he basically had to spend all of his money just basically getting out of the country that was you know that was the end of that so you were supporting yourself so i can certainly understand why you would need to choose yeah, something very practical that's going to get yeah. your job i mean it's, it's certainly a concern almost any any young person would have but i mean especially if you're in a position where you're basically supporting yourselves yeah as a teenager um so this sounds like did you ever this is a question i I hadn't um thought of but in response to your answer did you ever intend this to get to a wider audience it sounds like you almost wrote it as a family history it's interesting that to be passed down to future generations so they could kind of hear your father's voice they could understand the whole family history for your your daughters and then um you know maybe future generations did you were you writing with a wider audience in mind as well? Um, mm, Sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> it's, it's all right. I yes, yeah, like uh, because there's just so much happening in 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 the world right now. Whatever happened mm-hmm. to me, I thought it was a thing of the past. Yes, in Vietnam, planned secretly, uh, and then across the ocean and all that, the refugee camps, mm-hmm. and those years like. Uh, uh, for the Vietnamese boat people to escape Vietnam, it happened uh, for like span over like a decade, like 10 yeah. years. Right. So it's a long history, a long period of uh, human displacement. And then I thought it was already over because right now I'm already in Canada, but I it, it really uh, uh, struck me when all of that still happened around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but in like perhaps in a different context, but it's still it's still human displacement, still family loss and, and affect generations and generations to come, right? So right. so I wrote this with a um, I do have a purpose in my mind that I would like people to read it and then start realizing that uh, 
um, in tragedy, people will find the positive element in it. They will strive, like, like the style of survival, human survival is phenomenon that I have to use the word. Mm-hmm. And uh, for the landed immigrant, uh, for any refugee, uh, if you see them behind the smile, behind the, uh, the normal life and the, the normal work that they are doing, there's their stories, their, their struggle, and uh, and and that need to be uh, addressed and 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 be uh, be aware of. Right. Well, so, and it's like you were like you were saying earlier. I mean, it's uh, we often see these stories in uh, news uh, reports, or and it's not. It doesn't have that human connection, like you say. You're you're writing foremost from a very personal place. It really communicates that that the the, the immense tragedy of the situation and the you know the. Uh, what it feels like. Um, yeah, so, so, you know, it, it, it gives a perspective to those events, I think. Yeah, to, to it's just like contemporary I really, events. Like, I really, like, it's just, I have to relive the experience that I went mm-hmm. through. And mm-hmm. then uh, I have to reflect and then, and then feel that connection again. Like, but then I feel the connection with those who actually experienced that what I had been through. Mm-hmm. So I think my story is only, this is only one of them. There's, there's yes. so many other out there that probably right. never got to be written. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I really liked how you drew attention to that because you you escaped uh, on a boat that your your father had built and and taught your he was your oldest brother to uh, no to, not my oldest it's no not your oldest my uh, uh, brother's only one year older than me. Oh okay, I see. Yes, well, yeah, <laughs> and it was it was Fu. Yes, Fu. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. and so he was he learned how to pilot the boat. And it sounds like he steered you out of danger more than one time because there were pirates. uh, And you, at the refugee camp, you encountered other people who had been just destroyed, basically. They survived, but they were spiritually kind of destroyed by their experiences. Um, And you you managed to to make it, um, your boat and uh, everybody on board. Um, So I I really like how you drew attention to the fact that there were so many that didn't make it. And... um, you know that, that yours is just one story. That's I think. Yes, that's... and not mention, not to mention uh, many who who die, and mm-hmm. their story uh, uh, was never been heard. They'll never be told. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So I mean, yeah, it's. Um, so speaking more, uh, to the writer's journey that you've, you've been through and this, uh, kind of recalling and, and, uh, reckoning with your, your, the whole history of, of yourself and your family. Um, do you have any advice for people who might like to explore their own personal or family stories in writing anything that you've found helpful? I mean, you've already kind of touched on it right from a personal place, um, you know, don't just describe events, but kind of describe how it made you feel. But do you have any other kind of advice for people who might be writing their stories? Yes. Um, I think I can put in just one sentence. I can expand a little bit. But the first sentence I want to say is to put your pens where your pains are. Ah, that's a good one. Did- <laughs> so uh, uh, I don't mean that all family stories are painful, right? Some of them will be humorous and happy. However, the initial approach of the writing is essential. Uh, we need to ask ourselves why we wanted to write in the first place. We have to set a clear goal 
and I think stay true to the purpose of the writing. Right, right. That's great. I mean, cause it's it's a a topic we we've touched on it a little bit at the library that we we did a memoir writing workshop. I think three years ago and there was a lot of interest so I'm, I'm hoping people will hear your story about uh, your experience kind of telling your family story and writing and be inspired to, to maybe work on their own family stories so thank you for sharing that you know we've just we've discussed a lot about um, kind of the supernatural elements of the book the uh, the fact that a lot of it takes place from your father's perspective as a as a ghost um, but there's there's a lot of uh, elements of kind of Buddhist spirituality and um, and the supernatural running throughout the book. Um, so you mentioned like omens that are, that appear. Uh, we see people, ancestor praying to like altars to your ancestors um, happens quite a lot. Um, the, the ritual you describe in detail about preparing food for the dead and leaving the food out. Um, and then at, at later in the book, you talk about communicating with your father through a through a medium, like a psychic medium, uh, in this in the cemetery where he's uh, buried uh, in Vietnam. So, how does the? I wanted to talk about this notion of spiritual spirituality. Um, how does this differ? Do you think in Vietnamese culture from what we would understand in Western culture? Like when we say ghosts, is that is it? This, does it mean the same thing in Vietnamese culture? Um, ghosts in the afterlife. And, or how is it similar? Yeah. Okay, so I can tell you that the Western conception is more practical. But for, I grew up under, for Vietnam, like in Vietnam, like I, I have to go back and say, I grew up under the strong influence of Buddhism. Uh, some events happen uh, uh, that we cannot explain. Like, like if I mention omen in the books and and mentioned all the events that happened, it was true because it's happened. But then I cannot explain later. Like I cannot explain, uh, such as um, uh, out of the blue in the cemetery, the lady came up and it was true. She asked, uh, and then she knew where my, uh, where my uh, father's grave uh, was at that point, right? And then uh, she, when I met her, she was talking about the, uh, uh, a place that I live, and the event that happened that I that I that she she lived in Vietnam, but I live here. But she knew. So some event that to me I think is unexplainable. And uh, uh, beside beside that, um, uh, under the influence of Buddhism, uh, we uh, believe in the afterlife. So for and and in a practical point of view, okay, in the practical point of view, so if you you live this life fully, you live this life fully, and then when you pass away, you die laughing, right? But because you are in a peaceful country, you have all the the opportunity to strive to, like, do you like? I have to ask the question: of, Do you experience so much hardship in life? that you don't have time to enjoy the peace and then have time to for yourself. So I think is the notion that's created that whatever you cannot do in this life, okay, I comfort myself, I can do it in the next life. So I grew up with that. I think it's more like uh, comfort because you're living in the war-torn country, you're living in, in the environment that's uncontrollable factors are everywhere. So I see that I struggle in life 
now in this country. I struggle to build my life to get to where I am right now. But I but I couldn't imagine that my parents actually struggle through life to have 10 of us to live through the war and go through so many stages of their lives. So I, I do feel that that the uh, the medium about uh, uh, ghosts, the medium about the afterlife, I strongly believe in that because it creates a connection, a connection between us and the, the loved ones that pass away. And and we can feel it, I can feel it. And, and to be honest with you, uh, the event about the butterflies uh, that you read in the book, I've heard it from my sisters at one point, and I asked my mother, she didn't answer clearly because she was upset, but then she told me the everything uh, 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 in 2010 when I visited her at, at the hospital. So that's when it, uh, it really struck me and uh, I wanted to build that in because it has to have like a closure. And, uh, and people suffer so much, like you lose your loved one. It's not that in, in when they are getting old, due to illness or getting older and, and the natural part of life is you die when you're, you're getting old and then you release from the suffering of this world. But in Vietnam, in the war torn country, under the circumstances, you lose loved one out of, uh, of like an accident, like uh, a, a war and unexplainable reason. You know, you, you don't have the opportunity to live the whole life. So I think the uh, notion of a ghost, the notion of the afterlife, build there for, for a reason, for, mm -hmm. for a purpose. And I strongly believe in those. Right. And yeah. I personally, I can't speak for the library. Personally, it's a subject that fascinates me. Like, I, I, I think it's very, uh, you know, I've, I've done a lot of reading on the subject. And uh, that's part of what I found so compelling about your book, too, is just that you're, you put those parts in there and it's... Uh, you know, it's very powerful that, that this idea that your, uh, you know, your your sister, uh, your father are still they're still with you, right? I mean, yes, you know, I think that's one know. way of expressing, and also mm -hmm. one way of creating a closure. Mm -hmm. For yes. me, I want to create a closure to myself. Like you said, yeah. Yes. And it, a closure to the narrative, but in your own life, you're saying as well. Yes. Right. Like I have to end the grieving. I have to end it. Yeah. There. Right. And I don't want to give away the ending of the book, but uh, yes, it does. There is closure. As, as you're saying. <laughs> well, and the last thing I want to ask you about, you are a professor of uh, mathematics, as we said, and you've come to writing after this, this long career as a, a teacher of math, mathematics. And it kind of shows in the book because you use some very elegant math metaphors. Um, you use um, particularly the one about, I'm probably going to say this wrong, Euler's or Euler's identity? Euler, yeah. Euler. Euler's identity, um, sorry, uh, where, so it's all of the factors. I mean, you can explain it better than I can, but for the lay person, uh, you know, who's has as much math mathematical knowledge as I do, all of the factors of, of the equation resolve to zero, uh, and you use that to kind of uh, represent the efforts, as we were talking about, of all those who tried to escape uh, at the same or around the same time you would have, but didn't make it. Uh, you know, all their efforts kind of came to zero. So can you talk a bit about how you came to make sense of your experiences and the world in general uh, through math? I mean, you've kind of touched on this. And, and what made you want to bring the math into your writing? 
Um, I think it's 25 years uh, teaching mathematics and <laughs> and also uh, create a career out of mathematics. Uh, I think it's embedded in me, and I try to explain <laughs> everything with mathematics. Is uh, my children uh, told me that some mom is occupational hazard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you talk everything mathematics. So so right. can you just stop? <laughs> yeah, they, they, they told me that uh, once in a while. So, right. um, and I and I kind of agree with them. Like, if you work on like something for so long, you create an occupational hazard. So, um, mathematics is the foundation of life. So, uh, I, I I want to say that because we see math in everything surrounding us. So, in my life, and then something that I cannot explain, um, I couldn't find the answer. A, a real answer for that. So I thought maybe I could use math to explain. Um, and the one thing about uh, destiny, a predetermined uh, a destiny or fate, is something that we cannot explain. It's something we cannot explain. So um, uh, plus Euler identity is a fascinating concept. Okay, so what, what I want to mention here, and I didn't write in the book, was that when Euler uh, make a speech about uh, his uh, identity, at the end of the speech, like he, he, he make a speech to prove the equation, right? So at the end of the speech, he actually say that, therefore, God exists. Wow. Are you yes. serious? Yes, wow. actually, yes, actually, he said that. Wow. He said it in a circumstance that he needed to say, to say it, but I don't want to right. give away all the history of mathematics. So right. a lot of mathematicians, a lot of a lot of people started saying that this equation uh, proved uh, prove there's a existence of God. But Euler is a Christian himself. So he, he said that to convince someone to believe in God. And also to to say that the the uh, the fascinate like like the Euler identity is fascinating. Like you you put something together, you add them up, and why does it become zero, right? Then you raise a number to a power, then that means that number has to be equal to minus one, and you add one and equal to zero. So uh, um, I. Uh, uh, in real life, that equation is actually uh, very uh, useful because you use it in AC circuits. Okay, you use it in AC circuit. So we have DC circuit, AC circuit, alternating current. They they is is all applied to to physics and uh, electrical electronics. So then um, I also want to uh, say this. Okay, so when I first uh, uh, when I study math in, in university, sometimes, like, you know, it's so intense. I, I take a look at the equation and I try to prove it and I I, I kind of, I want to step away from it. Like, I, I feel like I want to drop the entire question. I don't want to, <laughs> to try to prove it any longer. So I start looking at words. I try writing paragraphs or making a poem out of it so I remember. Because in university, I you don't have a formula sheet. You don't have a calculator neither when you walk into an exam room. That's it. You have to remember everything. You remember. So I remember I make a poem out of some uh, equation so that I, I could remember. <laughs> okay. So and then I look up words. So mm -hmm. I want to tell you interesting about the words. So uh, Euler identity consider the number E, right? So number E equals to uh, 2.71818. So there's a whole calculus uh, behind uh, the uh, the 
the topics to, to get to that number. And E is the uh, symbol of calculus. And what is calculus? Calculus is about change and dynamics. So calculus, when people heard the word, oh, calculus is hard. But I say calculus is about change and dynamics. And I is what? Imaginary number. You have to imagine a number that is equal to square root minus one. So if you key in uh, square root minus one onto your calculators, it will give you a message, a message that uh, an error, unless you put your calculator uh, in a complex mode. Because this number is imaginary. That means it's created by human, right? So, so um, uh, this number, uh, this i, is the imaginary part of a complex number. And we use that complex number in every, in every science, the physics of, of what we are in surrounding us. But do we actually realize that? And then, and then I concentrate on the word imaginary, and I uh, concentrate on the word changes and dynamics. I also concentrate on the word complex. Okay, so if I put language into it, okay, and then pi, pi is an irrational number, uh, meaning a number cannot express as the ratio of two integers. But what does irrational mean in English? Like irrational come with like you make an irrational uh, decision, you know. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, like yeah, for uh, sure. It, 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 the language is interesting. Yes. Yeah. And then also the number e is called a transcendental function. E is a transcendental function. So the word transcendental also means that related to spiritual or non-physical realm. You see, so if you put all of that together. But take away the mathematics, but to think of all the word, imagination, uh, complex, irrational, transcendental. So, so in a way that I, I try to relate it to uh, like uh, courage, uh, uh, courage, faith, and failure, because we have a zero. Right, so, so I try to explain how come I like at, at the camp where I was sitting there, looking out in the ocean, like I was about to to leave for Canada. I looked back and thought of all the ones who died, and who they put in the same effort as me. But then their story probably was never heard by someone. Uh, so how can we explain that? So. Um, uh, I don't think we can explain that unless we we put some some sort of uh, imagination, some irrational decisions, some complex issue into it. Okay, so to me, it's like uh, uh, escape Vietnam was the only choice for survival. Okay, freedom was an, an imaginative piece in the unknown future. Then bravery boosts the irrational decision decision to step into those uh, dangerous uh, situation, but all came to nothing. So I feel that it's very much related to this uh, equation for sure. Right, and yeah. it's, you know, and it's not to, to, I don't want to scare any potential readers who might not have much knowledge of math. I think you, maybe it's the math teacher knew, but you've communicated in the book in a very clear and concise way. It doesn't like, I, I'm, I don't have a lot of math in my education history. <laughs> sorry, and, I, and I, and it came through perfectly well, I yeah, mean, in the book. It it's very, it's very effective. 
Again, think... maybe occupational hazard. Sure, of course. We can go on forever. But but but, then... but, it, but it, it's it does strike me that it is a very interesting way because you're like you're saying it's kind of the universal language, right? They say yes. Also, um, talking about uh, Euler is mm-hmm. uh, is a uh, very interesting because uh, Euler became completely blind at the age of sixty four. But during the time that he suffered from blindness and suffered from his disabilities, Euler continued to produce an immense amount of outstanding mathematics related to various aspects of science. So, um, so in a way that I thought in any difficult situation, uh, circumstances, if we try our best and we put a positive component into it, and we can, we will overcome it. So it's a lot having to do with the equation where he said, oh, therefore God exists. And then also uh, relate to his characters, uh, uh, how he, he, he lived his life uh, pro- like devoted to mathematics. And at the same time, uh, not letting his disability uh, uh, took away his passion. Right. I love that. That's a very deep metaphor. Even thank you for for kind of unpacking that for us. Yes, and then, yeah, uh, and thank you for for explaining because <laughs> uh, oil identity mentioned just a tiny bit in chapter twenty one. Yeah, it's not a huge part of it. You, yeah. There are a couple other ones, like there's the parallel lines. You do, you use that yes, as a metaphor yeah. as well, like the parallel lines that never meet except in infinity. I mean, I just I, you're right. I never thought about that that way. Like the the relationship between language and number, mathematics and numbers. I mean, and uh, mathematics and language. Yes. And and how you, uh, you you use that to to help make sense of these experiences. I think it's it's I think it works really well. And so that's why I just thank you to so much. <laughs> and that's pretty much all I have. I mean. Um, I, I thank you so much for speaking with me today. Uh, this has been a great conversation. I mean, I've I've really enjoyed. Uh, I was really looking forward to meeting you after reading the book. Like I said, I almost feel like I, I kind of know you, but it's 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 nice speaking with you and and getting more uh, kind of more more background on on the process for creating the book, on your experiences and and your kind of your thoughts uh, around it. Is there anything else you would like to say? Yeah, I would like to say thank you for having me. I also would like to mention that. Uh, um, I uh, came to Canada under the sponsorship of uh, the Hamilton Mountain Fund to help the boat people. At the time in 19, uh, in the 1980s, uh, Judy and John Smith uh, create uh, the uh, charity, a private charity, and they devote their uh, energy, their time, their finance into the process of sponsoring uh, uh, Vietnamese the poor people from the camp to Canada. So I will, uh, seven of us all together, brother and sister at that time, we were rejected by all the delegations. And uh, Judy and John Smith actually uh, privately sponsored us over. So I would like to take a moment to say thank you to uh, both Judy and John. Um, uh, and also I... Uh, Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you for having me, uh, talking for allowing me talking about my books, about my experience, and uh, I have to thank my parents for, um, like uh, they are everything, like like uh, like everything. So um, uh, I also uh, plus in the process of writing this book, I uh, I also want to uh, thank you to my editors. Um, the director of uh, Taiwater Press, uh, Lynn Duncan, and uh, 
Kumani Jean uh, Denny. They guide me through the process of writing this book. And uh, they polish my writing. They discipline me to change the sentences, uh, to, to put it in the context of, of, of a, a real, uh, a real uh, memoir. Um, like, like, like I make the comparison before, like Ankylos was like a lonely voice of a ghost, a lonesome voice and contemplating life and just for himself to less dialogue and, and all of that, leave it at that. But this book expands a lot more into uh, the realities of, uh, of the, the Huang families and everything that we had to go through. So I, I have to, <laughs> I have to say thank you. And, and I, I, uh, I am quite lucky to have met uh, Lin and uh, and uh, Kumani because uh, without them, I don't think this book will be out uh, in the world today. So I, uh, if Lin and, and Kumani, if you hear this, uh, I would like to uh, say thank you again, and I appreciate very much. Well, speaking of the book being out in the world, uh, this is a great book. I would recommend anybody listening. We do have a copy at Niagara Falls Public Library. Where can people go and buy the book if they would like to uh, purchase it? Yes, so it's actually the book is available in major booksellers uh, across Canada. You can find it in Chapter, uh, in St. Catherine, like a St. Catherine uh, Chapter Bookstore has 10 copies available. You can order it online. You can order it through Taiwater Press uh, website. You can order on Amazon. You you can order uh, from uh, some local bookstore uh, in your areas, and also you can order ebook. Right, and and where can uh, people uh, connect with you or keep up to date on your, uh, you know, your activity as a writer? Oh, yeah, I, I do have a website. Uh, the website is very sim simple. It's juliehuang.com. Okay, juliehuang. Yeah. We will be sure to link to that for anybody listening. We'll link to that in the description. description yeah, so. and, and uh, uh, my website uh, indicates uh, uh, news and events, like up to date. Um, also, uh, a little bit of behind the scene of writing the book and also uh, I put some images in my blog so just to bring the the book to life right, right. You, you don't see That's any nice. uh, you don't see any uh, image in the book actually mm -hmm. but uh, if you uh, visit my website and you uh, click on the blog tabs and uh, just let the slide show uh, run by itself and then you can see images uh, that I put there That'd be great. Yeah, That'd be wonderful yeah. to have that context. I mean, I love those parts of books where there's the middle, you know, the middle glossy pages where they have, you know, photographs um, that kind of just give context to the story. So I, I'd be interested to go check that yeah, out. Yeah. So, well, uh, but it is nice that all the photo is not in this book because it's, yes. it's written in a different form, like you said. It's. I agree. It's better to experience it as kind of as a literary experience. But I would be. I just having been through it, it's almost like, you know. You're just curious to to see. I wonder. I wonder what you know. Some of these, you know, people actually look like because you've read all about them yeah. and all about their experiences. You know, it's just yes. And then so, uh, there's image about the um, uh, uh, the temple, right? So uh, because they all uh, is real, right? The story is real. Like it's it's, it's uh, so I put image there, um, like the temple, like the giant incense, the boat, the escape boat, the image of my father. 
um, in front of the cathedral with a rooster on on the top. Like uh, there's a story about the rooster, and also uh, um, uh, what else that I put there? Like a sand dune of Mune. Uh, uh, quite a few, quite a few right. pictures that you can relate to the books. For yeah. sure, I'll have to go have a look at that. That's great. Yes. Well, Jolie, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. And again, I would recommend uh, this book to anybody listening. I mean, I think it would make a great book club book. Um, and I, I just recommend any, anybody uh, go and find a copy and uh, and read it and yeah. uh, be moved. <laughs> thank you so thank much, you. Jolie. Yeah, thank you for having me. And that's it for the podcast. You can find author Jolie Fung Huang's book, Three Funerals for My Father, at the Niagara Falls Public Library. You can also borrow her first book, Anchorless. And I've created a list of books about Vietnam, its history, and the American War in Vietnam. You can find that at nfpl.info slash podcast EP3. That's nfpl.info slash podcast EP3. You can also purchase Three Funerals for My Father at local booksellers, and you can keep up with author Jolie Fung Huang at her website, joliehuang.com. That's J-O-L-I-E-H-O-A-N-G.com. For now, thanks for listening to the podcast, and we will see you next month.